This is Let's Go Michigan with Jeff Sloan on 760 WJR. Your bird's eye view on Michigan's business and entertainment scene. Here's Jeff. All right, welcome to our show, Kristen Kajawa, Mark Pastoria. We're happy you're joining us here on Let's Go Michigan on this beautiful Michigan weekend. Had a really warm week of weather. Actually, surprisingly so, got into the 70s. Now, uh, this weekend, maybe losing 10 to 20 degrees, feeling a little bit more like winter, but still beautiful. We'll take it. Did you guys catch the news? I'm sure you did. Americans keep on spending. This comes as a surprise, right? The government announced data this week. Spending at all levels that drove the GDP up 4.9%, surprisingly, during the last quarter. That's more than analysts had expected. And it's the most it's risen since the last quarter of 2021. This, according to government data, released this past week. Wow. That's crazy, considering inflation is still so So high. high. But people have jobs, right? So as long as people have jobs, they're going to keep spending. That is a major factor, no doubt about it. People have jobs. They're still spending. It's interesting, this mentality about the spending, though. I mean, a lot of it is, as the government report pointed out, a lot of it is discretionary spending. So people spending on things that they don't have to spend on. These aren't, you know, grocery staples or anything else. People are spending on things like Taylor Swift tickets, you know, concert tickets or movie tickets, um, outfits for the Taylor Swift, travel to and from Taylor Swift, the hotels, all these things. Certainly, that's a factor in the economy and not just specifically, but it's what it represents, our desire to spend. Do you still feel like we're coming off of that pandemic mentality where we were cooped up for so long and we just were sheltering in place that now we feel like we need to make up for lost time and buy and spend and do things? You know, I got to believe that's a major factor. I really do. I think that's right. I think there's something, you know, we feel like we've got to get some time back or experiences back that we might otherwise have lost that year you talked about or more that that we spent, uh, you know, sheltering in our homes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic. I think that is probably a factor. Others would say there are some key economic reasons we could point to, for example, not having to make our student loan payments for a while, like we've had to that about to resume. They're expecting that takes a cut into our spending as it should, as one would expect, having to pay on interest as opposed to things we want and or need is a factor, certainly. Well, moving on to other news, first big snowfall of the year hitting the U.S. and more rounds expected. This, of course, across the northern part of the U.S., This past Thursday through Friday, snow, no doubt about it. National Weather Service reporting temperatures of 20 to 30 degrees below normal in the northern plains, snow, ice, et cetera, all of that. Hey, in some places in the U.S., guys, it's winter. I was actually just looking at the weekend forecast for northern Michigan, seeing if the temperature will drop low enough for the snow machines to break out on the ski resorts. No, not yet. It's not that cold, but I was looking. We're ready. Wow. Oh, you're ready. (laughs) I'm ready. ready. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. There is something really romantic and exciting Mm -hmm. about the first snowfall, right? Yeah. And then in a couple of weeks after that, (laughs) I'm ready to go to Florida. The novelty is worn off. Yeah, Yeah. the novelty wears off pretty quickly. And we're on to the next thing. But I agree with you. It's kind of an exciting notion to think about winter making its way this way. The holidays, of course. You know, all that kind of goes with all that. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's magical. It is indeed. Well, speaking of magical, you guys, I don't know how you feel about this, but I can tell you one thing. I'm not climbing into a hands-free auto anytime soon. I don't know what it is, 
But you see these commercials, for example, where they let go of the steering wheel, which, by the way, I think it's one of the worst commercials on TV. It puts the fear of God in me when I see the guy let go of the steering wheel. I'm not doing that. How do you guys feel about that? Not ready. No. I mean, no. the computer crashes at work. What happens when oh, the- It's just something <laughs> yeah. I'm not ready for. I'm not willing to accept. Well, we have news. Hands-free driving is now taking a hit. There's been a setback for autonomous vehicle development in the U.S. One of the leaders in the field, General Motors, of course, they've got their cruise brand, but they're suspending driverless testing nationwide. There have been several incidents. Thursday's announcement this past week came just a few days after the California Department of Motor Vehicles suspended cruises deployment and testing permits following a number of troubling incidents. So what does that portend for the future when it comes to hands-free driving? I don't know. It seems like that little part of the industry might be taking a hit, at least temporarily. How about Sergey Brin and his contribution to the transportation industry? That coming soon, there's been an announcement that Brin is about to test his new 124-meter-long airship, Apparently the largest aircraft since the ill-fated Hindenburg. It's been cleared for its first test flight. Certificate allows the helium-filled Pathfinder 1 to fly in an area close to San Francisco. Wow, that's a big beast in the sky. 124 meter long, call a meter roughly three and a half feet if you want to call it four feet. You're talking something almost a thousand feet long flying in the sky. Wait a minute, this is like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about like a hot air balloon? Well, it's an airship. Because it's helium-filled. Well, it's helium-filled, but it's also long in shape. Why it's are not... we even doing this? Who's going well, anywhere with this? I don't know. You're going to have to ask Sergey Brin. I, he knows things no. we don't know. I, what? That's, I, nobody's that's taking sure. a trip. That's three football fields. Yeah, three football fields in the sky, the longest since the Hindenburg. And then closing out our opening segment on the show today, I don't know if you caught this story or not, but certainly at the very least I find it an interesting one. Humans aren't the only ones, as reported in USA Today, humans aren't the only ones being ghosted in relationships. How about this? When invertebrates and vertebrates fake their own deaths, it's usually been observed as a tactic to avoid predators. But now female frogs are using this behavior to ward off clingy males that they're not interested in having as a partner or a mate. Wow. So how about that, guys? Wait till you go to the bar now. (laughs) (laughs) Female frogs have learned the behavior to fake their own death to avoid come-ons from males they have no interest in. That Now, by the way, this is a scientific study. It's published in Royal Society Open Science. This is for real. Tonic immobility is being used as a tactic to avoid mating or male harassment in female frogs. Genius. That's Gen- all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I'm a new fan of female frogs. Who knew? They're so smart. Who knew? The next time you see Kristen snoozing in the <laughs> studio, she's really just... I pretended to be a frog. Fit, pretending to just be zoned out or worse yeah. in order to avoid Mark. <laughs> so there we go. Again, news that you need to know here on Let's Go Michigan. Look, guys, we featured in the opening segment the fact that American consumers are spending, spending significantly still. And so we want to know who's doing all that spending. And one demographic that might be outspending others just may be the baby boomers. Court Gaines is here from businessinsider.com. He just published a story in Business Insider. Baby boomers are spending their nest egg and lifting the U.S. economy. Court Gaines, he's an economy analyst at Insider. Cork, 
what in the world is going on here against all what seems logic and everything else? You'd think spending would pull back. Costs are higher on nearly everything. Inflation certainly a major factor. Yet there seems to be no end to consumer spending. Give us at a high level what's going on and how boomers may be doing a disproportionate share of that spend. So basically, the economy is just in a weird place right now. And it has been for a while. And so, you know, we have all these bad things happening and we got more bad things coming, but people are still spending their money. We had, you know, kind of this summer of fun. Some people call it the summer of funflation this past summer where people were coming out of their cabin fever status during the pandemic. And all of a sudden they wanted to get out and they wanted to spend money. They wanted to go to places. They wanted to go to Taylor Swift shows, Beyonce concerts. They wanted to go to movies. They wanted to do all these experiences and things like this. There was some concern that that would slow down, but we're still seeing people spending money. And one of the things that we're seeing is that baby boomers, there's a lot of them, and they're sitting on a lot of money. And they seem to have this attitude right now that they are immune to kind of these bad headwinds that are happening right now in the economy. They're kind of immune to it. And, you know, they're out there spending their money and having a good time. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we were kind of worried when this all started, when we knew this baby boomer generation was coming. That, you know, they would, one, all retire at the same time and stop contributing to the economy. And two, they would kind of sit on their money and be scared to spend it. And we're seeing both of those things end up being not true. Some of them are still working. Some of them not by choice, but others are still working by choice. And they have a lot of money and they seem to be kind of like in this, hey, I'm living for today attitude. And they don't have to worry about the economy the same way younger people do. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and you mentioned the economy's in this weird place. I think even the most renowned experts, those with great experience in trying to figure out where we are, where we're headed, you know, are struggling to understand or prognosticate whether we're headed for a recession or a soft landing. And there's kind of good news and bad news when it comes to baby boomers spending. We need them to spend in order to avoid a recession, but the spending also keeps inflation up, doesn't it? It does. And that's kind of the conundrum, right? You know, ultimately, if we want to get inflation back down to 2%, which is what the Fed is aiming for, we need to reel in that spending. Americans just aren't doing that. In fact, we just saw even more numbers this week where retail sales are up. And on those day-to-day things, people are spending. Now, maybe this is just Americans kind of adjusting to what might just be a new norm. Everything has been wacky and changing for like the last five years now, or yeah, I guess not that long, three, four years now, that maybe this is just the way things are going to be for a little while, and we're just going to adjust to it and live our lives and hope it gets better a little bit down the road. But in the meantime, yes, spending is not going to help inflation. Inflation is going to stay high, and we're already seeing that a little bit with inflation kind of getting sticky and hovering a little bit higher than we'd like right now. But all that means really in the long run, hopefully – is that the Fed just does this longer for higher with the interest rates instead of raising them again. Maybe they just keep them level for, you know what, the next six, eight, nine months or something like that and hope that other things catch up besides consumer spending. Consumer spending, bringing that back would have been nice short term. But long term, there are other ways. We can bring it back with borrowing, curbing borrowing, whether that's mortgages or business loans or whatever it is, and bringing those back down. And then maybe that will bring inflation down. It'll just take longer. Yeah. And boomers, let's review again. What, what is it about the boomer generation that makes them able to spend so freely when others are so strained and constrained at this point due to the economic factors facing them? I mean, certainly boomers have less debt they're dealing with now, but as a generation, I think they were better savers. Now they've got this cash available to them. Are those some of the factors and what are others? Yeah, they have less debt. You know, they're not as worried about student loans as younger people are. They're heavily invested in their real estate. They've taken huge advantage of these soaring housing prices recently. It's just building their wealth and building their wealth and building their wealth. Meanwhile, a lot of them are free and clear on their mortgages and don't have to worry about that. And the ones that do have mortgages, 
they're probably locked into the 3%, 3.5% and are not worried about those higher interest rates that are out there right now. And they don't have to worry about that because while younger people may be forced to move for jobs or for family or whatever, older people can just hunker down and stay where they are for the most part. I mean, there's always exceptions, but a lot of them are just like, hey, you know, I have this house. I have a 3.5% mortgage rate. Why should I move and, and get a higher interest rate? So I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this. And they're living high off the hog right now. And plus, they have lived a good portion of life while they've gone through a few bad economies. For the most part, the economy has grown and grown and grown. And they're sitting on about $75 trillion worth of worth right now, you know, net worth. And that's a lot of money, and they're using it freely. Yeah, so they have all of this financial ammunition, if you will, that they can deploy into the economy to keep us from perhaps avoiding a recession, maybe getting into a soft landing as a result of their spending. The other thing is they have time on their hands, right? Many of them retired and now they have time on their hands. What's one of the things that people love to do when they've got time on their hands for better or for worse? Buy things, right? Go out and spend, go shopping. Yeah, I mean, and they may have had cabin fever just as much as the rest of us during the pandemic where now, you know, hey, and they've got the free time and now they can finally start using it. They're going to go take cruises. They're going to go on vacations. They're going to go to Europe. They're going to travel the country, get, you know, buy RVs or whatever it might be. And they're going to go out and, and have a good time and enjoy themselves while they're doing it. Yeah. And that against the backdrop, of course, as I mentioned, and as you've mentioned in your article of everyone else kind of pulling back right now, this is kind of the counterbalance to younger generations facing real economic challenges. Some, of course, just making ends meet. And it's a real dichotomy. This is a true story of the haves and have nots, those that are spending, those that can't, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there's always going to be a part of the American economy for better or worse. And at the end of the day, we are still seeing some pullback in the spending, right? We're seeing high-end products at places like Costco or Best Buy, you know, you know high-end electronics. Maybe they're not buying those as much. We're definitely going to be seeing a slowdown in the housing market. We did see some positive gains from cars, which was a little bit of a surprise this week. But things like that, you know, some of the higher end stuff, people are going to pull back on, which just kind of suggests to me that people are being cautious, but they're not terribly worried. They think, okay, and at the end of the day, for younger people especially, they still have jobs, right? You know, as long as they have jobs, they're going to still live their lives day to day. And maybe they get cautious a little bit, but, you know, they're still going to live their lives day to day. And as long as they have their jobs, they're going to keep spending. All right, right on. Baby boomers now responsible for 22% of all spending. According to the Labor Department September survey, Cork Gaines, economy analyst at Insider.com. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for uh, enlightening us and making us aware of just a little slice of what's going on in the economy. As it, frankly, maybe a little slice for having a major outcome on where we are and where we're headed with this uh, head scratcher of an economy these days. That's for sure. Cork, thank you. It's certainly not boring, but thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Indeed. We really appreciate it. Listen, Kristen, Mark, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when you think about enjoying a fall weekend, one of the things you just can't not think about, one of the things you just simply can't not think about is apples, apple cider, perhaps even hard cider uh, here in the state of Michigan. We certainly produce a lot of it. This industry is a growing one. Let me ask you guys, do you enjoy that drink? Maybe at like a football game tailgate, you could oh, definitely well, do now that. You're or, like or a it Friday more night game, yeah, right? Right. And it's really year round. It's not just in the fall. 
I mean, you can get hard cider and drink hard cider everywhere. People are enthusiasts about this new hard cider trend. Yeah. Mark, you got a couple under the table there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Waiting for you? They're gone. <laughs> They're Waiting gone. for Kristen to get me a refill here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, don't pull one out unless you can pull three out. That's right. <laughs> for the three of us. Well, listen, guys, Paula Englin is here to tell us about the boom, really, in the hard cider industry here in the state of Michigan. And she would know. She's the new executive director at the Michigan Cider Association. Paula, we're thrilled to have you with us. We're thrilled to have this great industry here in the state of Michigan. So, Paula, first I have to ask you, the industry is obviously significant enough, that being the cider industry, both with alcohol and without in apple cider production. You are the executive director of the Michigan Cider Association. This association exists because the industry is big enough to support it. That really says something. First, tell us about the association and about the industry here in the state. Awesome. Yeah. So the Michigan Cider Association has been around for about nine years now. And our goal is to help connect cider enthusiasts and soon to be fans with Michigan ciders that they'll love. And one of the reasons that job is so exciting is because Michigan is truly the great cider state. So we actually have the number one amount of active cideries in the whole U.S. with 192 validated active cideries. So that's super exciting. The other reason I love to see what Michigan is doing over the last decade is we have grown by about 110% from 91 back in 2013 to, again, that 192 active cideries here in 2023. So it's been an exciting season for the Michigan Cider Association and certainly for the Michigan cider industry. When you say cideries, this is not necessarily hard cider. This is all apple cider or is this specifically hard cider? This is specifically hard cider. Okay. Yep. And in Michigan, that includes, we have quite a few wineries that make hard cider, breweries that make hard cider, and then true just hard cider producers. Got it. And those producers you refer to as cideries. Correct. Okay. Because there's many more, obviously, that produce just regular old apple cider. Yes, we call that sweet cider. Yep. Sweet cider. There we go. And these cideries can be found across the state. I mean, there's, as you mentioned, would you say 192 of these across the state? Correct. Yep. Yeah, we have some in every corner of the state, including the Upper Peninsula. There's some great cider makers up there as well. Yeah. And as Michelle McGrath, CEO of the American Cider Association, points out, and I think as you did too just a moment ago, Michigan has more hard cider producers than any other state in the U.S. How did that come to be? Why Michigan? Well, I think a few reasons. First of all, we just have exceptional apples, which is the key ingredient to making cider, of course. So a lot of people don't know this, but cider is much more like wine than it is like beer. Mm. So with beer, while you're brewing, you're taking grains and making the alcohol that way. With cider, it's again, similar to wine. You are pressing the apple fruits and then fermenting that juice to make your finished hard cider product. So Michigan is the third largest apple producer in the country, although both last year and this year, it looks like we will surpass New York, making this the second. So we have some awesome fruit to work with here and just a wonderful agriculture community, great research happening at MSU. And so we are blessed with all these excellent resources and just hardworking folks a lot of small businesses that are family-owned, that are multi-generational businesses making these delicious hard ciders. I actually have a question, Paula. Do Michigan cideries have to produce their own apples? 
They don't. So um, many do. So about 12% of the businesses here in Michigan, the cideries, do have their own orchard by some means. And then 83 of the remaining percent, they're using local farms and orchards. So Michigan hard cider is one of the most Michigan-centric products that this state produces. We did a survey recently, the Michigan Cider Association, and learned that on average, 93% of the total ingredients utilized in hard cider production here in Michigan is Michigan grown. I think that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, it's a good point, especially we on our show love Michigan and we like to support yeah. everything Michigan, but this is just another layer of something that you can know that all of that really comes from Michigan down to something that you're drinking, probably even the bottle that it came in. <laughs> a lot of times, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Incredible. Again, all right, for those just joining us, we're talking with Paula England, Executive Director of the Michigan Cider Association. So tell us about, you know, we talk about the 192 cideries across the state. Give us some examples, some mom and pop examples, one or two, and then the big king of this business here in the state of Michigan, Blake's Hard Cider in Armada as well. Absolutely. So it's really fun. We're continuing to see uh, cideries open and grow. The Michigan Cider Association has received some grant funds from MDARD to help promote cider education here in the state. And so we have a couple businesses that are our members that are just getting started out. Uh, so one is called Heartwood Ciders, and they're up in the Leelanau Peninsula. And it's a husband and wife team. They're going through, it's the Cider Institute of North America, their foundation class in learning how to make excellent cider. And they hope to open here in the next couple of years. We have a few different cider makers owned by brothers. I think of Odd Brothers Craft Cider. They're making some really fun and interesting ciders and utilizing local artists to do their can artwork. And then up in the north, 2K Farms is also owned by two brothers doing some exciting things, making some cider shandies. And they're actually looking into doing some distilling in the future with their apple trees as well. So super exciting. We've got husband and wife teams, folks that have been making cider for years. I think of Uncle John's Cider. Mike and Dee Dee Beck are kind of the godmother and godfather of of the Michigan hard cider industry. And they've really helped a lot of these new businesses get started and, and sort of coach them along the way. And then of course, like you mentioned, Blake's, which is actually the second largest hard cider business in the country. And they're expecting to sell 1 million cases of their hard cider this year. That's amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is, but for good reason. I mean, it's a, you know, it is a great drink to have, no doubt about it. And it kind of fits a spot too, you know, with the alcohol level being generally lower, but the taste being amazing and even taste extending to beyond just apples. Some cideries are really experimenting with other flavors to add as well. I think that's what makes cider such a fun beverage is that there is really something for everybody. So just if you look at the fruit itself, there is an entire category of apples that you would never find at Meyer or Kroger. They are intentionally grown for cider making. And so these are varietals that have been brought over from different places in Europe and Asia and make some wonderful ciders. Uh, you can do single varietals, again, much like wine, that are going to be really dry and interesting, have some acidity. But then, yeah, there's all of our cider makers 
makers are dabbling with adding things like hops, which is really fun for some of the Michigan beer drinkers, and some botanicals like lavender and basil. Then we get our seasonal fruits. Of course, cherries are a huge addition here in Michigan, and strawberries. And, and right now, a lot of them are doing things like pumpkin and caramel apple. So there's a wonderful range of flavor profiles and uh, really something for everybody. And as well as the industry is doing right now, you and your new role have come in with a lot of enthusiasm and vision for doing even more, ambition for doing even more for this industry. Tell us what some of your plans are to grow this business sector. So one of the huge opportunities we have here in Michigan is we actually host the world's largest cider competition, which is called Glint Cap. And that's here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, every May. And it's such a cool thing to have these cider makers sending in products that they have crafted from Japan and England, Australia, Spain, Canada, and of course the U.S. to be judged by some of the premier cider makers around the world as well. Glencap also includes what's called Perry's, which is a, a fermented beverage made from pears, of course. So it's a really exciting opportunity we have to provide feedback and that when you drive around throughout the state of Michigan and go visit your local cidery, many of them will have medals up on the wall, and that is from winning awards at Glintcap. The big public-facing thing we're going to do is a cider week in Grand Rapids where there's going to be dinners and a big festival that is more of like a beer fest type where there's tokens and stuff like that. When is that? So that's May 10th through 18th. It's going to be phenomenal. Very cool. I know that you also have a focus to kind of loosen up a bit of the uh, liquor laws in the state of Michigan in order to open up the opportunity for a bigger market here. Is that right? Absolutely. Of course, anything that's a legislative change can sometimes be an uphill battle. There's a lot of different partners to get on board and work to do to kind of pave the way. But there are certainly some things that we would love to work with the Craft Distillers Guild and Craft Brewers Guild and, and the wine folks as well, just to get together and say, hey, what are some common sense reforms we can work on that are really going to help our entire industry and, and just make it a little easier for these small businesses that are just trying to bring products that they uh, put a lot of passion into into the market. Right on. Really exciting. Paula England, Executive Director of the Michigan Cider Association. Boy, are we lucky to have you in that spot. That's for sure. You know your stuff and I know you're going to do a great job growing it and promoting it for the benefit of not only those who are in the industry, those who enjoy the product, but the entire state of Michigan as well. Paula, thanks for being on. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat with you guys. Indeed. Great to have you. Of course, it's Halloween coming up this week. It is. Halloween weekend. Busy. Halloween weekend. It's a busy weekend. It's one of the best. Many people say this is their favorite holiday. Really? Yeah. I hear that a lot. I would say a lot of people are really serious about Halloween and claim it is indeed their favorite holiday, if not one of their favorite holidays on the annual calendar. So much so that total Halloween spend this year projected to reach a record $12.2 billion. That exceeds by a couple of billion dollars last year's $10.6 billion Spend. You wonder where all the money's going. I know. I just tried to buy a bag of Halloween candy. There I'll it is. I'll tell you exactly. It was 30 bucks for a bag wow. of hot. And it wasn't even like wow. the ginormous bag from Costco. It wow. was like a medium bag from Kroger. I, has anybody stocked up on their Halloween candy yet? Because this is what we're paying now. 
it's really... Uh, I'm giving out erasers from now on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there you go. You'll, you're the house that'll be skipped. Yeah, exactly. Over. Mark's exactly. got a little bag. Mark, where'd you get that? You got a little bag Kristen of candy celebrating early? Oh, Kristen brought it in. That right. was nice. Part of her $30 mixed bag of candy. Well, look, people are spending, that's for sure. 68% of the spend, Kristen, to your point about those $30 bags of candy, will be spent on candy this year for consumers' spend. 53% on decorating their home or yard, 50% on their costume, and uh, it goes on and on. Boy, spend, spend, spend. Each consumer projected to spend this year a record $108 on average per consumer, that up from 102 spent in 2021. So that's the power of Halloween. Guys, I've got to ask, you know, in terms of costumes for the kids or for yourself, do you have an occasion this year, by the way, to wear a costume, the other one of you, Mark, Kristen? Yes. Really? Yes. Do you, you go to a party? You attend yes. a Halloween party? Oh, yes. It's an adult Halloween party? It's or an it's adult a... Halloween party. Oh, that's fun. Well, tell us, what are you going to be this year? I don't know yet, and I'm scrambling. Leading sources of inspiration, by the way, for costumes. Kristen, you don't oh, know good. what you're going to be I'll yet, so this. here's a little okay. information yeah, for tell you. tell me. Online searches, 37%, find their costume ideas by doing an online search. 28% at retail stores or costume shops. Friends and family influencing one another. That's where 20% of costume ideas come from. Where do we spend? Discount stores get 40% of the spend when it comes to Halloween costumes. And then, of course, Halloween costume and specialty stores closely behind at 39%. So that's where the spend goes. How about this? Staying on the subject of costumes. Do you know what the most popular kids' costumes are this year? Barbie. Oh, that's Barbie, a good that's a guess. good one. That's a very yeah. good one, Mark, for girls. Um, oh, 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 oh. Um, uh, the guy from the Kansas City Chiefs. Travis yeah, Kelsey. Tra- Travis Kelsey. So those are... That's scary. So that's, this is for kids. <laughs> right. And your guesses seem really logical and really good. You know, here's what the data shows, though, and it really underscores how there are just certain things that are perennial favorites that just seem to be there every year. Oh, How I about know. Spider-Man? Yep. Number one. Yes. Spider-Man. Even more than you were saying, classic. you know, uh, Barbie or Taylor Swift. Then 2 million people dress as their favorite princess, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. 1.6 million as a ghost. I mean, that's good every year. You can always count on that. That's kind of weak. 1.5 million as a superhero and 1.4 million as a witch. Ah. <laughs> so... That's usually Mark? what I go with. No comment. I, Mark, you're biting your tongue. <laughs> you, uh, you better bite that tongue hard. You better stuff yes, your mouth you with be- candy. You better indeed. That's right. That's right, Mark. Hide that broom. There you go. Uh, how about this? Most popular adult costumes. So those are the kids' costumes. Okay. For adults, any guesses? I, I mean, you kind of have oh, a hint. Oh, I know. I mean, you, I would, okay, you, go. Be, well, I was going to say, you kind of have a hint because you see in the children's category, still the kind of the perennial favorites prevail. Black cat, witch... Okay, so number one Police for officer, adults is a witch. Is a witch, yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a 5.8 million adults plan to dress like a witch this year. Nearly 2.4 million as a vampire. Oh, Here, vampire. Mark, to you, 1.8 million as Barbie. All right. More than 1.4 million as Batman and 1.3 million as a cat. Huh. Interesting. I love that they're all classics. Those That's, are classics, yeah. right. Except, well, I guess the Barbie's Barbie, probably also yeah. a classic, probably yeah. fueled, obviously, yeah. by Barbie mania. Mm-hmm. And not to be left out, the most popular costumes for pets this year on Halloween. Skeleton. Skeleton does not make the list. Pumpkin? Pumpkin, number one. Yes. Pumpkin, 
Now, where did you come up with that? She's thinking pumpkin spice. No, I, um, because I recently saw it on my Pinterest feed, these Ah, cute doggies dressed up as pumpkins. Pumpkin, by far and away, number one, 11% of all pets who will be dressed up this year will be dressed as a pumpkin. That's good. Any other guesses to make the list or should I just give you? Just tell us. Okay. Number two, a hot dog. 7%. Seven oh, percent. Right. Yeah. Number three, a bat at four percent. Bumblebee next, and last but not least, a spider. Oh, gosh. most popular pet costumes. Well, since we're on this kind of subject matter of uh, what's popular, how about the most popular candy, the most popular Halloween candy? Data courtesy of CandyStore.com. They're an online retailer that's been shipping bulk candy across the country and tracking sales for 16 years straight now. They come out with a list every year of the most popular Halloween candy. And interestingly, they do it state by state. So you know what people are spending on in any given state. This, by the way, helps you map your trick or tree. Yeah, right. Don't like what Michigan's offering? I don't know. Maybe Had to pick a different Indiana? state. Yeah, who knows? You know, depending on what your favorite is. Well, look. Here it is, Halloween candy. First of all, again, the spend this year, $3.6 billion in the U.S. on Halloween candy. That number up by a half a billion dollars over last year. Again, there's the answer to inflation right there. Now, culling through the 2023 numbers, first, let's just tell you overall across the country what the top candy is. Who reigns supreme at number one? If you say candy corn, I'm That's walking worse. away. Any guesses? Mark? No. Snickers. Kit Kit Kat and Snickers, you're both wrong. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups (laughs) are America's number one favorite holiday candy. Now, closing the gap significantly this year, right behind Reese's, what is it at number two? M&M's. Number three, Hot Tamales. Who Hot Tamales. I never Number three, most popular Halloween candy. That's what you eat at the movie theater. Number four, Skittles. And coming in at number five, Sour Patch Kids. Ooh, also a good choice. There you go. And to your point, Kristen, about candy corn, a couple things <laughs> about candy corn. One, it has made its way back into the top 10. Really? Candy corn. Wow. Do you like candy corn? No. You know what you do when you get candy corn? Throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, let's talk about Michigan. The top three, closing out the show today. Here are the top three most popular Halloween candies purchased this year for Halloween in Michigan. Coming in at number three, it's Butterfinger. Number three, most popular purchased Halloween candy in the state of Michigan this year. Number two, Kristen, you better move. It's candy corn. Number two in the state of Michigan, most popular candy purchased candy corn at number two. And number one, most popular Halloween candy this year in the state of Michigan. Drum roll, please. It's Starburst in the state of Michigan. Starburst. All right. Well, there we have it, guys. Happy Halloween. Kristen, you've still got time. Not a lot of time. You've got time to get that costume together (laughs) for your Halloween party. By the way, is your party on the weekend or is it actually on Halloween? No, it's on the weekend. Tonight, so you better, you don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I have no, I know. I, you know what? I might just go as a ghost. You can't. I mean, look, I made the list. It's a top five. I know. That's Uh, what I'm uh, saying. Yeah. You know what? Or I'll save my, I'll save my witch costume for another day. I was about to say, um, no, I, I, I was, don't no. say anything. I think, you know what I was, I think a ghost is perfect. <laughs> and with you. that, Thank we're you. headed out. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Halloween. Thanks for joining us on Let's Go Michigan. You can find more by our host, Jeff Sloan, on thegreatvoice.com, 
live on WJR Radio, 760 AM, and anywhere you listen to podcasts.